I'm reading this morning from the scripture that Al mentioned and so nicely paraphrased for the children, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, Neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin in remembrance and to, and to cause the death of my son. But he said to her, Give me your son. He took him from her bosom, carried him up into the upper chamber where he was lodging and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. And then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to be God. God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, this is one of those stories where uh, it almost uh, doesn't fit in with our scientific understanding of, of reality. It also is an ancient story, and so it's very easy for us to just kind of dismiss it as a nice children's story. But Lord, you have given us this in your scriptures so that it might provide a guide for our living today. So help us not to miss the point. Help us to listen for that still, small voice that is yours. Don't let the preacher's words get in the way. Help us to hear you. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are indeed listening. Amen. Let me say that a year into the drought that I talked with the children about, 
that where the rain had stopped a year into it, Elijah the prophet was still on the run. He was running. And who was he running from? He was running from Ahab, King Ahab, and Queen Jezebel. Because they didn't like him. In fact, they hated him. They wanted him dead. See, King Ahab of Israel had married Jezebel, who was a worshiper of Baal. And you could understand why people worshipped Baal back then, because they were so dependent on their crops, on the falling of rain, on their cattle reproducing, and Baal was a fertility god. You may recall the story of the Israelites when they, uh, when they crossed the Red Sea and made their way into the wilderness, and, and Moses was up on Mount Sinai, how they built this golden calf. That was Baal. They, they, they wanted someone that would come to them in their hour of need and, and save them. And they wanted someone that could produce rain, crops, food. Well, Jezebel worshipped Baal. And King Ahab, when he married her, he took on her religion. And Elijah didn't like it. And he told them, that he didn't like it, and he told them that God didn't like him uh, for, for doing that. And, he, and Elijah said that God was going to send a famine precisely because they had turned away from the God of Israel. So you can imagine, Ahab and Jezebel did not like Elijah, and so Elijah was on the run. Now, because there was no rain, there were no crops, and therefore no food. But God provided for Elijah. Elijah made his way to a, a wadi, which is another word for a brook. A wadi uh, was a, a kind of stream bed that would only have water in it when there was rain. Whenever it wasn't raining, the, the bed of the stream would be dry. And he came to this wadi named Cherith. And there he found water. And so for a good long while, God provided for Elijah by providing water in this wadi and food from the ravens. Ravens would come bringing in the morning and in the night bread and meat. And so Elijah had it pretty well, if you don't mind eating what ravens bring you. But after a year of surviving on the side of this wadi with the assistance of the ravens, the wadi dried up. And because the wadi dried up, the ravens disappeared. And so Elijah was left without food or drink. So God sends him to a village called Zarephath. And there Elijah <coughs> runs into, <coughs> excuse me, the widow of which the scripture has told us. The widow was having a pretty bad time. She had lost her husband, and she was near death along with her son. She had only enough meal in this this jar and only enough olive oil in the jug to provide one more meal. And when Elijah arrived on the scene... She didn't know who he was. He was just a strange man coming out of the 
desert. She was gathering up some sticks to build a fire so she could prepare her last meal with her son. And that's precisely when Elijah says, why don't you give me something to drink? And, and while you're at it, why don't you give me something to eat? And so she responds, as many of us might. In fact, most of us probably would have responded in a much more negative way. But she responds with sarcasm. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Now, think about it. It's like, I am sorry, sir, that I didn't have a feast for you. You know, I have nothing baked. I have nothing only a handful of meal and a jar and a little oil and a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Pretty despairing words from this widow of Zarephath. But Elijah is not put off by her sarcasm. Elijah responds to her. He tells her, In fact, he gives her a promise. He says, if you prepare a cake for me, if you put put that meal and the oil together and you bake a little cake for me, I'll, I'll promise you this. He says, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. And that's exactly what happened. Wonderful. Even when the worst thing happens to this widow, her son... It's hard to tell from the scripture whether he simply uh, was breathing so shallowly, so, you know, hardly moving the chest that he appeared to be dead, or he in fact died. It doesn't really matter. The point is, as far as she was concerned, her son was dead. And he was obviously that sick. And obviously, it was probably a result, I should say, obviously, but probably a result of. A lack of food for so many, many long months. But Elijah brings him back to life. In fact, he gets a little angry with God. Why have you sent me here to ask help from this woman only to have her son die? What, what are you up to, God? Elijah spreads his body over the boy three times and the boy regains his breath. He comes back to life. When the woman thought she had lost everything, her, her husband her son, her food, her very existence, when she thought everything was gone, God sends someone to her asking for help. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? She should have been asking for help from someone else, but at the very hour of her greatest need, God sends someone to her to ask for assistance. Isn't that what the Bible shows us over and over again? If we trust God, we will always have enough to make a difference in someone's life. Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible shows us in example after example? Take, for instance, Moses. Remember Moses, how he was out watching his father-in-law's sheep And then God appears in a burning bush and tells Moses that God wants Moses to go back to to Egypt where he was a wanted man. Go back to Egypt and be the instrument of God's saving grace. Free the people 
who are in bondage, bring them out to, to safety and liberty. And, and, and Moses thinks he has nothing to offer. He, 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 he starts stuttering. He starts saying, I, I, you know, how can I speak to these people? Who am I going to say sent me? I mean, he, he was thinking of all kinds of excuses. And then God finally asks him this very poignant question, what is that in your hand? In other words, what are you holding? What, what have you got that I can use? And, and the answer, of course, is a rod, which was a standard rod held by most shepherds. It was a defense weapon that was used to beat off wild animals. He was carrying it because there was a burning bush talking to him, and he didn't know what was going to happen, so he was holding on to that rod. And, and, and God says, well, what's in your hand? And he says, well, it's, it's, it's a rod. And God says, well, throw it on the ground, and he throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake, and that's the rod that when he picks up that snake, it returns to to being just an ordinary rod, and yet it wasn't, because that's the rod that Moses uses to turn the Nile to blood, to part the Red Sea, and to strike the rock and bring forth water. You see, what, what God was saying to Moses is, tell me what you have in your hand, and whatever it is, I'll use that, but you've got to give it to me. Hand it over to me, and I'll change it. I'll make it different. And it's like Elijah saying to this woman, give me what you have. And, and if you let go of what you have and you put it into God's hands, it will be multiplied. It will become something different. It reminds me of the disciples when they were with Jesus that day and 5,000, well, the scriptures say 5,000 men. It was probably more like 10 to 15,000 people had gathered on the banks of the of the Sea of Galilee, and they listened to Jesus all day long, and the disciples, they didn't want to have anything to do with the crowd. They had been out, you know, witnessing for Jesus, and for many days they had heard about the death of John the Baptist. They were afraid that people were after them, and the last thing in, they, last thing in the world they wanted to be around would be a crowd. And now Jesus tells the disciples, give them something to eat. And they're, they're all but laughing to, with Jesus. What do you mean give them something to eat? We can't, we can't give them something to eat. We don't have enough to feed such a large crowd. And then the question comes, much like God had asked Moses, what is that in your hand? Jesus asks his disciples, how many loaves do you have? Not how many loaves will it take to feed the crowd, but Jesus says, what do you have in your hand? How many loaves do you have? Would you please count them? And they count them, and they come up with five loaves and two fish. That's what they have. And they place that in Jesus' hands. He blesses it. He gives it back to them. And then they, they give it to the crowd, and they have so much that 12 baskets are left over even after the crowd has been fed. Do you see what the Bible is telling us? What God is trying to tell us is that if we simply give to God what we have, it doesn't matter how little it is. It could be just a little bit of meal and just a little bit of olive oil and maybe a few sticks. If we give that to God, God will multiply it. If we take the stick we have, the five loaves and the two fish, it's quite remarkable and no accident when Jesus met the woman by the well in Samaria. 
the first words out of Jesus' mouth that are recorded in the Gospel of John are simply, give me a drink. Think about it. This woman is at that well in the middle of the day precisely because she can't come at any other time of the day. All the respectable women, they come early in the day or late in the day when it's cooler. She has to come in in the middle of the day because she's not respectable. She's had five husbands, and the man she's living with now isn't her husband. We don't know why. Maybe she's a sinner. Maybe she's just trying to survive. Maybe she can't have children. Maybe these are the only men who will kind of put up with her. She must feel so worthless, so powerless. Jesus could have come and sat down by the well and go, Oh, you poor lady, let me help you. What's your problem? Can I help you? Can I give you something? But he doesn't do that because he knows she isn't worthless and she has something to offer. And so what he says to the woman is, give me a drink. You give me something because I know you have something to give. Like Elijah telling the widow of Zarephath, give me a little cake. I don't want the whole world. I just want a little of what you have. Jesus is saying to the woman at the well, give me a drink because I know you can give it to me. I know you have it. You know, I've, I've told you uh, several times before, and I'll tell it again because it's one of those stories that stick with you as a, as a child. But when I was very, very young, I think I was seven, seven years old, uh, my dad was in the army, and he went to Germany to prepare the way for the family. And so uh, my mother and we four children were living in some government housing in Alabama waiting for the opportunity to join him in Germany. And we, we existed on government allowance checks. Back, back then, the, the government would take out a portion of the GI salary and, and send to the family. And that's what we were living on. Well, uh, we ran out of money. And ultimately, on this particular day, we ran out of food. And there was nothing in our, in our kitchen uh, but just a little bit. Of, what I had always grown up thinking, it was flour. But as an adult, I know, well, flour, it wasn't that because she was able to make some little crackers out of it. Uh, but so maybe it was some kind of uh, bread meal or something. But... But I, I remember that the only thing in our kitchen was this meal. And, and my mother prepared, I guess she was trying to make biscuits, but they were, they were really crackers, that's all. And that's what we had in late morning. And we had nothing else the rest of the day. We were waiting for the allowance check to arrive. It did not come that day. And, and I can only imagine now as a parent myself and looking back how, how horribly difficult that must have been for my mother to have four children and to have nothing to feed them with. And back in those days, you didn't, you didn't have plastic. You, you know, you couldn't just go charge a meal uh, for your family. You either had the food or the money. And she, she asked us to go around the house and, and gather up every coin we could find under the beds, under the dressers, everywhere, and get, get, get them all together. And, we, and, and then we put them in her hand. And then she gave these coins. I don't know how many there were. I never, I never really saw it. All I know is she was able to hold them in her hand. 
and she uh, gave them to my older sister and told her to go down to the store. And the remarkable thing is uh, she didn't ask my sister to buy bread or, or milk or something like that, which I would have thought, may, in retrospect, I would have thought that would have been the appropriate thing to buy. But, but I don't know how much money was there. Maybe there wasn't even enough for a, for a loaf of bread, maybe not enough for a, a gallon of milk. But what she told my sister to buy was candy, candy. And now I know why. Because you see, my mother knew that we weren't hungry for bread or milk. We were hungry for hope and assurance. We were hungry for our mother to tell us that everything was going to be okay. That's what we were hungry for. And now as I look back on it, you know, I don't remember being hungry that day. Don't remember at all. What I remember is we had candy for dinner. That's what I remember. So you see, she fed me with what I think she intended to feed me with in the first place. Well, you see, what in a way, what she was saying is, give me what you have and, and, and I'll make do. And it was as if God were saying to her, give what you have. And what she had was hope. And that's what she fed her children with. Now, you and I may come a time in our lives where we may find our cupboards bare. And not just the physical cupboards, but our spiritual cupboards may feel empty. And we may feel like there's no meal in our jar, no, no oil in the jug. We may feel like our lives have just kind of come to a, a dead end. We have nothing left to give. But God knows differently. God knows if we put what we have into God's hands, then it will be more than enough. And, and isn't it remarkable that often it's when we are in our greatest need that God sends us someone else who has an even greater need. And it is by giving of what we have that our lives are changed as much as the one we care for. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Who are the enemies that surround us? Our enemies are fear and despair and doubt. And the Lord says to us, I'm sending someone your way who's hungry. Give them something to eat. And you'll see that your jar of meal will not be emptied and your jug of oil will not fail. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for thinking we have nothing to offer. Forgive us for thinking we're just going to scrape together a little bit of wood and make a fire and just sit down and die. Thank you when you send people our way who need your love and need our love. Remind us that what we have truly is enough if we turn it over to you. Amen. We'll continue our worship with the prayers of the